podcast from the Sunday night service at New Life Church. The Sunday night service reflects a desire to be rooted in the historic expressions of faith while engaging God with our whole being in the world today. For more information on New Life Church, you can visit our website at newlifechurch.org. I had a really, really uh, special week. A lot of, some of you may know this, but I went to school um, in a university in Tulsa, Oklahoma called Oral Roberts University. And uh, yeah, there's some alums. And um, I went back this week for a conference that they were holding, and I was part of the worship team that got to lead for it and all of that. And I'd been back, you know, a couple times before, but this was, I hadn't been back in about four or five years, and I hadn't ever been back with my wife. And uh, since we met there, it was kind of a special thing. You know, we took a picture in the same parking lot in front of the dorms where we, had, we have a picture uh, in that exact spot pretty much, you know, from like 12 or 13 years, you know, earlier. And so it was sort of a little awe moment, you know, awe. And, um, you know, I loved what Eric said during joy time. There is something about looking back, you know, stopping for a moment and looking back and saying, my goodness, Look what God has done. Look, what, uh, look at his faithfulness. And look at, at uh, remember when we thought we couldn't make it. I mean, uh, Holly and I had some ups and downs in our relationship in college that we may or may not have broken up a couple times, three times maybe, but who's counting? Mostly she with me, but hey, um, <laughs> just saying. And so, so it, it was nice to sort of say, look, look, hon, we made it, you know, like, and, uh, and, and, and to sort of be out of that stage and out of that phase. And, but even as I was there, uh, I, I, coming back here made me think about coming to New Life and that uh, whole experience and what that was like. And I'll never forget, I, I, some of you may know this, but I grew up in Malaysia, uh, which is, you know, about as far as you can go on the other side of the world before you start coming back around, you know, globe. Um, but uh, when I was 10, we moved from Malaysia to Portland, Oregon. My parents went to Bible school there. My sister and I went to, uh, I was in middle school. She was in high school. So we lived there for three years, moved back to Malaysia. I finished out my high school, and then I went to college at ORU. Well, when it was time, when I was done, when I was graduating, uh, there was, you know, the question of what are you going to do next? And, and uh, I had a degree called Theological Historical Studies, so if I wasn't going to find a job in a church, I was stuck. Um, you know, it's not like that's a multifunctional degree. Um, but I, had re- I remembered that during college, I had spent, I had visited New Life Church on a couple different occasions. See, Ross Parsley's youngest brother, Brent, uh, he and I lived on the same floor and we'd become friends. And so I was part of these music ministry teams at ORU and and had come out here on a couple different occasions. And I remember uh, the very first time sitting in a New Life Church service. Um, it was actually a 4th of July Sunday service. So there was parts of it that growing up in Malaysia was a little funny to me that we'd raise our hands to the Star Spangled Banner. But that aside, um, you know, I, I learned to uh, roll with that. But, um, but, but aside from that, there was something about New Life that I just couldn't shake. Uh, there was something about the worship times and sitting in there, sitting in the congregation and feeling like, man, what, this is, there's something special here. And I couldn't quite explain it, put my finger on it. And I came back a second time with another team and interacted with Ross and met, met Matthew, actually, who normally leads worship for us on Sunday nights. And, and, uh, and just the sense that there was something healthy, something special 
And finally, uh, I, I, after I graduated, I, I stayed on a year at ORU and was the worship leader for chapel services and things like that. And uh, began to feel like, okay, it was time to sort of take the next step. And uh, Ross and I began talking about whether I would come out and be an apprentice to him. And I said, apprentice? Ross, I have a college degree. I don't know if you realize. And, you know, when you're 22, you sort of have this inflated sense of self, you know. Um, sorry if you're 22, but I'm 32, so I can say that now. Uh, I probably still have an inflated sense of self, but I really did then. So think of, anyway. Um, <laughs> but, but he said, come out, you know, shadow me for a year. This is what it means. There'll be a host family in the church that you can stay with them. And then whatever I'm doing, you do. So you follow me to a funeral. You follow me to a wedding. You follow me to a staff meeting. You do that for your first year here. And I said, well, I don't know. Uh, what's the pay? And he said, there's no pay. There's a stipend. But, and, uh, and, and anyway, the, the point is, I said yes, but I said yes not because I thought this is going to be, a, a, you know, this is going to lead to this opportunity or this opportunity. I had no illusions of that. The truth is, I felt like I had more, quote unquote, opportunities in Tulsa, and I felt like there was more things that, that would have maybe led to something strategic with my life, more things that were sort of happening there. But there was something about new life that I couldn't shake. There was something about this place that I thought, this is where I'm supposed to be. And I, the, the day that I drove up, uh, to, drove into the city with my Jeep full of all my stuff. John Egan came out with me. He was still going to school, but he drove out with me. And we, we pulled up, and I came in, and they said to me, welcome home. And I don't, you know, it's not like those are magical words, but for some reason, where I was at in my life... And the way that I felt about this body of believers, those words meant so much to me. And it felt like, yes, yeah. I mean, I was almost like, yeah, yes, you know. And I've, so I've been, it's come, coming up on 10 years now of being at New Life Church, and a lot has happened in those 10 years. Um, a lot that's wonderful, and a lot that's been difficult. A lot that was certainly unexpected with the scandal that happened over three years ago. A lot that was sort of, whoa, you know, we didn't see that coming. And what happened to this wonderful sort of, you know, utopia we thought this place was. But I discovered in the midst of walking through all that, because like you, like many of you who are here, we all were faced with the question, what are you going to do? Is this still home? Is this still family? Or... Is this time to say, oh, I'm out? And I, that's not to say that those who made a decision to transition, that that was a bad time. Everybody's got to decide that for themselves. But I'll, I'll tell you that what happened in my heart over those weeks and months and years and now years that followed all of that is I discovered something about all of you. I discovered that this is a real family for so many of you that you are really connected to one another, that you really do care deeply about one another. And the thing that Holly and I couldn't shake whenever we think hypothetically about, well, what are we going to do? You know, was always the, the question of, yeah, but we have friends here. Yeah, but we, what about, we have lifelong friends or a long history of relationships. And there was something about that that we thought, let's just, stick this out? What if we keep walking? What if we keep journeying? What would happen if we didn't make a knee-jerk? What would happen if we just decided to keep with this family? And so we did. And, and the amazing thing is 
I've also learned something else. That the things that made New Life Church special when I first arrived 10 years ago are still here. And, and I'm not talking about some sort of, oh, you know, a goosebump thing and this and that, and I like this program or that's pro. What I'm talking about is we still believe that God's at work within this community of people. And here's something foundational. You know, leading up to Easter, we did, what, a 13-week series called The Supernatural? And we talked about, you know, everything from uh, gifts of the Spirit to the idea of the Holy Spirit being at work and all of this stuff and what that means for us in our Bible reading and in our prayer and and Spirit-empowered lives. And we talked about that for 13 weeks. But all of that is predicated, is built on this belief that God always chooses a people to work through. And here's, here, here's something that's, that's remarkable about God is that you might think that God would choose to work from the outside in. That the moment creation began to self-destruct and humanity rebelled and all this, you might have said, well, God would have said, well, you know what? I could probably fix this from the outside. But all along, God's plan has always been to work on planet Earth from the inside, from within a fallen creation. There's something remarkable, remarkable about that, something that almost doesn't make sense. Or God, you're God, you're creator. You could be that distant God that so many religions sort of have this picture of, a God that sort of wound the world up and said, okay, go, good luck. Ooh, that was a bad turn. Let's see how that pans out. Ooh, yeah. But this is a God who from the beginning decided to work from within his fallen creation. And I'm not just talking about working from within as in Jesus. Of course, that's the culmination of it. But think about his first move, calling out to Adam, calling Noah's family, and then later calling Abraham's family. Do you think God didn't realize that Abraham's family was going to be flawed? He knew they were. He knew, in fact, shortly after calling Abraham's family, Abraham's guilty of fear and lying and deception and all this stuff, God knew But his M.O. is to work from within fallen creation, not to foist a plan from the outside. That's amazing to me. And the miracle of what Jesus did is not just that God himself, yes, of course the miracle of it is that God himself took on skin and entered our world, but that Jesus then, because he's risen, what happened right after Easter? The church gets Founded, so to speak. The church gets its launch, gets its birth. And the church is essentially Jesus saying, okay, look, I was working through one family, and from that family came the one perfect, fully God, fully man, the faithful Israelite, the one who fully kept covenant with, back with God. But because of his faithfulness, now whoever believes in him, guess what happens to you? You become part of this new people of God. All of us now, when, because we are in Jesus, we've been, we've been included in on the work of God from the beginning of time. I, it's amazing to me that we try to reduce the Christian message to a personal self-esteem message. You know, like, I just want, you need to know who you are in Christ. But what that really means for a lot of people is you need to know that you're really a good person and that God just thinks the world of you and you should be cheerful because this is sort of a Jesus pep talk, self-help tape kind of thing. 
And I wonder if we've tried to, if that's the angle we've had to take because we've lost the wide angle lens on what it really means. That do you get it that when you said yes to Jesus, you just got included on God's massive rescue plan that's been going on since the beginning of time? What? Do you know that by saying yes to Jesus, you've become part of the people of God, the people that God is working in and through on the earth? You're part of that story that began in that garden so long ago. Paul says it in Ephesians this way. He says in Ephesians 3, verse 1 through 6, For this reason I, Paul, prisoner of Christ Jesus, for the sake of you Gentiles, that's most of us, if you're not of Jewish descent. Surely you have heard about the administration of God's grace that was given to me for you. And that is the mystery made known to me by revelation, as I have already written briefly. In reading this, then, you will be able to understand my insight into the mystery of Christ. What? Now we're, he, he's got us on the edge of our seat. What is it, Paul? What's the mystery? What is this insight that you now understand, which was not made known to men in other generations and has now been revealed by the Spirit to God's holy apostles and prophets? Paul, spit it out! This, here it is. This mystery is that through the, gospels, through the gospel, the Gentiles are heirs together with Israel. All of the promises of God working through that people of God is now open to us. We now get to join in the members together of one body and sharers together in the promise of Christ Jesus. Think about what that would have meant to first century ears. They knew that the Jews believed that they were the vehicle, they were the ones God was going to work through. Ooh. And now Paul's saying, yes, 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 but now when you are in Christ, you get in on this too. Really? Yes. You get to be part of God's work on the earth because you are now part of the people of God. I wonder if we've had to work so hard at helping Christianity sound like a personal self-esteem boost because our gospel presentation is so personal focused. Well, it's just about you and your and of course it is that. But if we've left out this other bit of the story, then they sort of come to Jesus, get their sins forgiven, and then they say, now what? Well, you're just a really, Jesus just thinks the world of you. And you just need to know that he likes you. Oh, thank you. And he... He just wants you to be, you know, great, and he just, you know, and it's like, okay, what else? What have we been saved for? What have we been saved for? Uh, we know that we've been, what we've been saved from. What have we been saved for? I think it's Paul's case in all of his letters that we have been saved for the same purpose that God called the original family. And that is that we might be carriers of blessing, people that in whom and through whom God works on the earth. Now, that makes me even more excited to be part of a church. Because I think it's very difficult to say, oh yes, I love that. Oh yes, I am part of the body of Christ. I'm part of Big C Church. And I love that God is using it. Great. But Little C Church is a subset of that. And so I think what makes me even more excited about New, New Life Church is that it is 
part of what God is doing in the church all across this city, all across our state, our nation, all around the world. It's epic, like those movie trailers would lead you to feel. It is truly epic. In Acts 2, we read this verse, and this is sort of the description of the early church, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and all, you know, the fellowship, and this is what was happening, and they were, this is how they lived, and, and we have this amazing description. I want us tonight, th- we're kicking off the series called Coming Soon, and, 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 and in this series, it's going to be less sort of a teaching and unpacking of doctrines, but it's going to be more of an explanation or shining the light on what we believe is the core identity uh, of this sp- specific expression of the body of Christ. Now, why does that matter? I think that it's very easy for churches to start by talking to you about their activities. And to say, well, hey, you know, look, look, we got this activity for this age group, and we got this activity. For this. And it's all wonderful. It's all great. I have this, there's a, my, one of my favorite stories is when Eugene Peterson, the translator of the message, when he was a pastor uh, in, in Maryland, he had a young couple that came to him and said, okay, uh, Pastor Eugene, you, you know, we, we, here we are, we're new to the town, we, we want to jo- join your church, and uh, uh, tell me, what, what program do you have for our high schooler, for our kid, and all that? And they start asking him all these questions. And in classic Eugene's subversion, he says, you know, if you'll let me be your pastor, I'll teach you not to want so much activity. I love that. <laughs> There's the, the other famous story of, uh, is it the Benedictine monks, you know, who host retreats and things like that? And when you, when you come in for a retreat at their monastery, you know, they, they love saying this phrase, but you come in and they'll say, hey, thanks for coming. We're so glad that you're here. If you need anything at all, I mean, if you think of anything at all that you need, would you please see one of the brothers and they'll help you to live without it? <laughs> I love that. I mean, what if we said that? Welcome to New Life. We're so glad you're here. If you find something that you need, come and talk to the pastors. They'll help you to cope without it. I'm shocked. <laughs> I, there's something about that that I love and am tempted to say. <laughs> because I think we are addicted to activity. We are. We just, uh, oh, okay, so now that I'm saved, what do I need to do? Okay, I've got to get busy. I've got to do this. I've got to sign up for five different programs this week to serve my church. This is what it means, you know, and all this stuff. But look, before we even talk about the activities or the programs or the things that we want to do as a church, and all those things are important, I think identity, though, precedes activity. I think who we are as a church has got to be settled before we talk about all the things we're going to do. Because here's the deal. The things we're going to do may change. We may have a three-month campaign that does this or a summer of this or that. That's okay. I get that. It's fine. But if, you're, if you are convinced that that's what it's all about, then what happens when that's over? Oh, we've got to launch another campaign. We've got to launch another. We've got to give people something to get excited about. But all that stuff, giving people something to be excited about, all that stuff sounds a little bit like golden calf making to me. We got bored. Moses, where are you? Moses, get down. He's not, he's not coming. We need to do something. People, give me your earrings. Give me your earrings. I mean, what was, he th- what was Aaron thinking? But are we like that a little bit sometimes in church? Where it's like, man, we, people are getting impatient. People are leaving. We've got to give them more activities. Come on, let's sell them on another program here. 
And are, are, are we calf making? Or are we becoming the people of God? Because if we're learning to become the people of God, it's much deeper than just programs and causes and campaigns. And that's all fine. But we've got to get the core right first. There's three things that are particular to, to our church, to New Life, that, that I, I mean, I think, I, I, let me say it this way. I think every church has these elements in them. The way I'm going to describe it as we talk about it tonight is in the way that I've seen them expressed here at New Life. Let me say it that way. Three things that I, that I feel like, that we feel like as Pastor Brady and I have talked and, and he shared what he sees and things that become a, a huge core piece of, of who we are, our ethos. And the first one is worship. Now I'm not saying that because, you know, I used to be a worship leader and I like, used to be a worship, I still lead worship a little bit, a little bit here and there, still got it. Um, <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> let, the, you know, let the kids come up. Um, <laughs> um, but truly, we have a high value on worship at New Life. We believe in being a worshiping church. We believe that one of the main reasons we gather together is so that we can collectively glorify God. The psalm that we read as our Old Testament reading opened with this line, I, extol, I will extol the Lord at all times. His praise will always be on my lips. And I could talk for a long time on this alone, on worship, as you might imagine. But one of the things we believe about being a worshiping church is that there's no wrong time to worship. Now that doesn't mean that you forget about your troubles and you pretend it doesn't exist and, and church is the place where you escape. No. That's not what we believe about worship. I know there's a tendency to view it that way that oh, the world is so stressful and messy and I just want to get to church. <gasps> you know, sort of transcend my body and kind of have... You know, that, that, that's not what we're... Worship is not this thing that makes us forget and ignore and all that. No. Worship is what recalibrates us. It's what says, okay, look, all of those things are still there, but here I am adjusting and orienting and moving toward God. Let's give ourselves a little working definition of this. Worship is a response with everything that we are to a revelation of everything that God is. Ultimately, Nico and Kaysen and Lindsay and Matthew and all these guys that serve in the worship team, their goal is not to hype it up for you. Their goal is to sort of say, look at God. And what they're trying to say is catch this picture of God. And if you catch this picture of God, we're pretty convinced you're going to respond in worship. I remember a, a moment on a road trip in college and we were uh, driving, I think, through Utah, and it was one of the canyons. I don't know, Kevin, you probably know what canyon was, but it was beautiful. It wasn't the Grand, obviously not the Grand Canyon, but it was a beautiful canyon. And we were driving through it, or right by it, um, uh, around sunrise, and no one else in the vehicle was awake except for, except for the driver, and, and I, felt a, I felt a strange responsibility to be that guy that kept the driver awake. You know, so I was talking to him, you know, keeping him awake, and we're driving through this canyon, and all of a sudden, on the, we had this, you know, different CDs, put through the CD player, and someone must have put in the Braveheart soundtrack, you know, and uh, so you can imagine, here we are, uh, uh, driving through, the sun is rising, the canyon is starting to glow, 
and the Braveheart music comes on. And it was like, this is epic. And I wanted to wake everyone in the van up. I wanted to be like, wake up, look at this. Look at you. I didn't because it was, you know, I don't know, 6.30, 6. It just wouldn't have been nice. Um, but I think that's a bit like what a worship leader feels like, where they feel like, they're in a room full of people who are asleep at sunrise over this beautiful canyon, and the music's playing. They're like, do you see this? And so if they are excited, they're excited because they want you to see what they see or a little bit of what they see. Uh, and and, and all, what's with all the, the physical bits, you know, the hands and claps and hops and whatnot, you know? What, what, what's with all that? Look, there's many ways of expressing worship. Silence is a very real part of it. We use that in our service of shouting, dancing. We try to engage a number of different forms of worshiping. But here's what we believe. We think, we believe that as human beings, we are uh, an interconnection. We are a holistic being, somehow made up of physicality and a spirit and, and emotions and a mind, that it's all sort of interwoven, and you can't really separate it. We are sort of somehow all of those things at the same time. And that if worship is a response with everything that we are, then what's happening in here or in here or whatever is going to have to show up with hands and feet and singing. Does that make sense? And sometimes the one order precedes the other. Meaning sometimes it's like, wow, you're stirred by a thought and that makes you sit. Other times you, you're stirred by an emotion, and that makes you do that. But in a very real way, there are times when the act of sitting and being quiet is what all of a sudden stirs your heart. And very often, sometimes the act of singing is what engages your mind. And so it works both ways. It's not this, well, i got to feel it if I'm going to do it. And, and, and I, one of the things I learned from Ross Parsa over the years when he was a worship leader is he, here is he would say, look, hypocrisy is not when your actions don't match your feelings. Hypocrisy is when your actions don't match your convictions. So if you have a conviction that God is worthy of praise and that as the people of God we gather together to with one voice glorify him, then I'm going to start doing that and acting on it and believing that. That doesn't mean we ignore what's going on. In fact, if you were to use the Psalms as your prayer book or as your guide to worship, you would realize that a lot of these Psalms started with a brutal honesty about where they felt, where they were. Like, okay, God, feeling pretty messed up today, feeling like you're not listening, feeling like you don't care. But it's not, amen. Sometimes, rarely, but even, even in those dark, dark Psalms, there's a little bit of a step of movement. What I want you to see is that what we believe about worship is that ultimately it's a movement from where we are to where God is. I don't, I don't mean that in terms of like, oh, i got to come to heat. Not that he's not with us. What I'm saying by that is that you start by acknowledging your circumstances, your emotions, where you're at, and then you start to take a step towards shaping your life around him. So you may start by acknowledging anger, but you might end with a step that says, God, help. That in itself is a step away from anger. Does that make sense? And, and, and I think that happens best when we worship as a congregation. Because, you know, if I'm worshiping by myself all the time, and you should do that by yourself, but if you're only ever doing that by yourself, I think it's easy to stay. 
to kind of say, okay, God, I'm just really upset about this. Okay. You know? But when you're in a congregation, you're not really given that luxury. Because you, you look over, you, maybe you're in this place and you're like, oh, God, I'm just, I'm saddened by what's happening with this situation in our home. And I'm just, and you look up and you see Susie and you're like, man, I remember what she was going through a year ago. And man, look how the Lord has working in their marriage. And then you start to realize, you know what? Maybe I'm not always going to be in this place right now. Maybe, maybe one day I'll, I'll be where Susie is. And it's the congregation that is a living picture of God at work. It's the church that's a living picture of God at work in us all along the journey of praise. And so you may be at this point in your journey of worship, but the reason we get together and worship as a congregation is because you look up and say, hey, they were, they, they, didn't they just, what? And you start to see someone else, and that encourages you. That's why in Hebrews he says, look, don't forsake the gathering together, which is, which is ble- bleeding into my next point. Let me read this verse out of Hebrews 10, and then I'll say the, the next phrase. Hebrews 10, verse 23 to 25. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Let us not give up meeting together or assembling as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another all the more as you see the day approaching. Worship, I think, ultimately leads us to connect with one another. And, and maybe this is a test. If your view of worship is solely a private thing, I would suggest, I would challenge that you have not understood worship. All those markings in the Psalms that say, you know, Selah or do this or set to this tune, all that are there because, guess what? Those words and prayers, so many of them, the bulk of them, were actually sung and prayed together. Together. Worship, yes, has moments where it makes us be eyes closed before God, but in the end, it should also help us open up our eyes to others around. it, It ought to lead us to this connection with one another. This word there that the writer of Hebrews uses to spur one another on or to exhort, to encourage, is that word parakaleo. When, when, when um, seminary profs talk about three different kinds of speech or language in church, they talk about the, the word the didac, the didache or the didache. That's the, the didactic, the teaching. And then they also talk about the preaching, you know, the, the proclamation, the, the kerygma, the bold preaching. But there's also this other word, the paraclectic, the paracaleo, the soft, personal encouragement. This word paracaleo has built into it an image of coming alongside. Para is that word for being alongside. So there's an image of us saying, yes, there's room for a teaching word. There's room for a preaching word. But there's also got to be the side-by-side, softly spoken word that encourages one another. The reason we connect is so that we can have that in our lives. Um, and there's, there's loads of ways to do that here at New Life. I mean, there's, you, you hear people say, well, there's small groups and things like that. And that may be, that may be intimidating. They might be like, well, I don't know which small group do I start, you know. But there's a number of people within this Sunday night community that lead small groups. And we're working on getting a little list together 
to give to you, to have out at the table in the lobby. Say, look, here's a group on this night of the week, this night of the week. Check it out. Connect with them. I'm teaching a class every Sunday afternoon in April um, for people that are new to Christ or new in their faith and want to find out. I see a couple of you here that were just in that class earlier today. We're meeting in the World Prayer Center at 4 o'clock on Sunday. Sometimes a class environment with little tables where we can sit around and all that is a good way to start the connection. Um, um, but of what I want to encourage you, and there's not a formula or a method or a mechanism. We could try to craft this more. But the bottom line is, it's like first day at school, right? What did our parents tell us in the first day of school? Now, if you want to make friends, be friendly. Go up to someone, ask them. There. I mean, I'm working through this with Sophia, you know, in school. Like, go, go say, hey, nice, nice sweatshirt, nice coat. Uh, what's your name? You know, all this stuff. This is the, the kind of stuff that it's, it's similar in church. You say, okay, maybe I'll be encouraging to someone else, and we'll see if the parakaleo can happen. We'll see if the standing close and joining arms thing happens. The last phrase that I think is a core of our identity and a core piece of who we are is this word serve. We worship, we connect, and we serve. I'm not suggesting that we do all these three things perfectly. I'm saying them to you by way of putting a picture in front of you and saying, can we continue to be this church? Matthew 20, 25 to 28, Jesus called them together and said, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them and their high officials exercise authority over them, but not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be first must be your slave, just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. To serve is to lay aside a sense of entitlement. To serve is to stop demanding. It's countercultural to think that way. It's much easier to approach a building uh, as a, cons- a consumer, even, even in the purest sense of that, if that can be pure in that I'm coming here to get something. Um, I, would, I would love if we never used that language again. What you get out of church today? I just would love that if we just didn't talk like that. I'd love it if we instead, instead said, did you encourage anybody today? How was church? Did you get to encourage anybody today? Did you get to bless anybody today? Did you get to serve anyone today? Did you get to... Well, I mean, I don't know, but nobody said hi to me. <laughs> you know? <laughs> Oh, we do our best to be friendly. We're working on systems, and it's challenging sometimes. The big, one of the big reasons Pastor Brady and I talked about starting the Sunday night service was to create an environment that's more personal. Increases your odds of connecting and meeting others and all this stuff. But there's an ad- attitude in us that the cross wants to reform. There's an attitude that we were born with that Jesus wants to change. And that's what the cross speaks of. Paul says, I was telling the class earlier this afternoon, Paul says in Romans 12, we're transformed by how? By the renewing of our mind. And then remember a few verses right after that, what does he say? So don't think more highly of yourself than you ought to. Right after saying you get transformed by changing your thinking, the first thing he says about thinking is, stop thinking so highly of yourself. A first step towards becoming this church is when all of us say, you know what, I'm, I'm going to serve. I, um, I didn't uh, tell Jeff I was going to tell the story, but Jeff is a good friend, was a student in school worship, and just recently 
was helping a church get started in Denver, helped them for a season, and told me, had coffee with me, said, I want to come, uh, you know, be part of Sunday nights and come back and, t- you know, now that I'm, you know, done helping that church. And I said, well, that's great. And then I said, hey, what would you think about, like, helping to set up couches in the lobby and ta- round tables in the back of the room? You know, and he, you know what he said? Absolutely. I mean, I, 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 that's amazing. Because that's not, I didn't ask him, he's a worship leader. He helped this church by being their worship leader. This guy, he's talented. I wasn't asking him to be on the platform or doing like that. I asked him if he would drag tables. And I said, by the way, Jeff, I don't really have a team for you to help with that. Um, but maybe you could recruit a team. You know? Absolutely, I'm in. Sounds great. Like, who are you? <laughs> He's a servant. When Paul wrote of Jesus in Philippians 2, that he emptied himself and took the form of a servant, the word Paul used there for form is the word morphe which is the Greek word for essence, essential form. In other words, Jesus' essential form is both divine. It's, that's the same word Paul used when he says, though he was in the form of God, he had the morphe, the essence of God. But he also says it was the essence of a servant. I, I, I think that just as identity precedes activity, I think we become servants who serve, rather than we're great people who will occasionally serve. I'm learning that transformation of thinking. I'm with you in the renewing my mind. I want the Holy Spirit to change my mind to think that way, to think that I am, I serve because I am a servant. What if, what if we said we, we, we do these things, all these things we're going to do as New Life Church, and I'm going to give you an amazing list that Pastor, that's been on Pastor Brady's heart. I'm going to share that with you in a moment. But all of those things we're going to, that are going to be things that we do are just expressions of who we are as a serving church. Can we be that? Here's a list of five key areas that our elders and our leadership team believes, is fully convinced that New Life Church is called to serve in. Widows, orphans, the poor, Military families, planting and supporting local churches. Many of these things have started to take shape. You know about planting the church at Boulder Street downtown. You know about planting the church in Denver. You know about sending Ross out to Austin, who's, by the way, doing really well. They just had their first public meeting this last Thursday night. So you know about the wait no more. You know about some of these different things. You know about things that are just beginning down at Fort Carson that we're starting to uh, unroll and starting to step in. Next week, we get to hear from Matthew Barnett, who runs the Dream Center in Los Angeles. And there's a reason Pastor Brady's asked him to come in this weekend, or next weekend, to talk to us. It's because there's something of the seeds of that that are stirring in us. And we're exploring it. We're trying to be faithful. We want to find out. We want to explore this. But all of these are areas that express. They're key areas. But the thing that's got to change on the inside of us is the identity. As we close tonight, um, I want to close with this thought. New Life Church is whatever we are. But if there's no picture in front of us that says, we think God is asking us to be this, then there's nothing that we sort of work towards. I'm kind of a sports nut, you know, I'm always watching different sports when I can. I have three kids too, so. It's kind of 
counter that goal. Um, but there's nothing worse than a team that, that, that's not sure about what they're going to do. You know, are we a fast break, run and gun, Phoenix Suns basketball team that doesn't play defense but will put up 130 points, you know? Or, or are we like a half-court pick-and-roll team like the Utah Jazz? Anybody, any basketball fans? Okay. Are we, you know, football maybe, okay? Are we a smash-mouth, run-the-ball, tough defense, Pittsburgh Steeler kind of team? <laughs> Sorry about what you guys are going through. Um, <laughs> or, or are we like a finesse, like perfect timing routes, quarterback, you know, sort of in, Colts, Indianapolis Colts kind of team, you know? Sorry about what you guys are going through. Um, but there's confusion. They're all good approaches. And I think this is sort of what I'm saying is we all understand that our mission on earth as the people of God is to be carriers of God's kingdom and his blessing and his work wherever we are. And every local body is a subset of that. We get that. It's like, but that's like saying, well, the goal of every sports team is to win. Really? And if you ever listen to sports interviews, by the way, oh, they're awful, you know. What's your game plan, coach? I mean, he might as well say, we want to score more points than the other team. Really? Okay. You know? Anyway, aside, I could tell you're not with me on the sports humor. <laughs> I'll stop now. Obviously, we know, yeah, we want to carry out God's but we want to hold you. Yes, we, we get that, but in what way? And I think every local body has to say, we feel in this way is how we're going to do it. And so for New Life Church, we worship, we connect, and we serve. And those five key areas are a big part of it. But it starts with what's going on inside of us. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, would you work in us to make us worshipers, people that learn to see you and respond to you? Would you make us people that step outside of ourselves and learn to connect and truly believe that we can't make it alone? Give us eyes to see the people, the needs, the places all around us in our local body, in our own church, in, in, its own, in this service here, in this room here. This is kind of a newer service, but help us to begin to form these bonds of relationship and connection here. And then, Lord, as we worship and we're, li- we're led to connect, and as we connect with one another out of our love here for one another, let it overflow to serve and bless our community. You blessed Abraham to be a blessing to all nations. You've blessed us so that we can cover the earth with your blessing. We want to be that church, but that means that we've got to be that that people, that person too. Work in our hearts. Challenge us. Change us. Help us with our desire for autonomy or or hyper-individuality or all of that. Help us to embrace being members of one another. In Jesus' name, amen.